Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meath. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proves to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Rob. We're both wearing red. Oh, I like it. And it's kind of a Nantucket red, if you will. It's where You're in a beautiful location. Where is that? I'm in Laurel Canyon. Uh, you win the award for best background <laughs> of, of any of the guests on, on literally. Yes, literally. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Um, today, we have the great Jane Lynch, who, as you will see, I discovered that we're the same person, basically. It's kind of creepy, but inspiring because she's awesome. I mean, she's won an Emmy and two Golden Globes for Sue Sylvester and Glee. And who among us does not love Sue Sylvester and Glee? She hosts Hollywood Game Night, which is a genius. And she's in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Won an Emmy for that. She's won more Emmys than I have. Maybe she should be hosting and I should be the guest. Let's see what's what. I'm so glad you're, that you've taken time to come and hang out with us today. It's very, it's very, very exciting. I, I, I was going over just some background on you, and I came across something that really made me laugh about your mother going, I don't know if you're going to be an actress, Jane. Yes. I just don't know. Did uh, yeah. <laughs> she said not everybody can do what they want, which I think said more about her than it did about me. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What would she have had you do? 
Like in her dream scenario. Oh, well, she told me all the time what she would have me do. Um, you know, uh, she wa- <laughs> she thought I should be a teacher. Uh, she thought she always said you need to have something to um, fall back on, and I should learn how to type. Um, and at one point, when I was uh, when I was like in my late twenties, and I was doing Shakespeare in the Park, and she came to see it, and she said that was really good and everything, honey. But I still uh, see you teaching, and I stopped her and I said, you can never say that to me ever again. And she never did. And listen, nobody was happier with my uh, having success in this business than my mother. She was thrilled. I think there was an actress inside of her that never got to come out. And she loved to sing. And, um, you know, I think she when she said to me, you you know, not everybody can do what they want. I think that's where that came from. I, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I look back having kids now of, of my own and grown, growing through and in the prime of the job hunt mm-hmm. gives me such amazing appreciation for my parents um, for when I told them that I wanted to be an actor. And that was all my interest was. I, I literally had no other. I got fired from every job I attempted to have. <laughs> I was fired from being a busboy. I was fought for I was fired for. Um, a projectionist at the Malibu Cinema for kissing girls behind the ice making machine and putting the reels on in the wrong order. I was awful. I was awful at everything other than being an actor. And I, I, I can I just so appreciate that my parents let me do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost looking back on it, I go, were they negligent? Were they, <laughs> were they like shirking their fiduciary responsibilities by not by I didn't go to college. I, I, you know, because I did a movie. I had to choose between doing a movie. It's, 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 it's a whole other perspective, isn't it? I, it, it I, really I feel is. for your mom. Yeah, yeah, and and how parents, you know, you're a you're a parent. How they they just uh, trust the, that the world is going to be kind to your child, and your child's going to find a way to eke out a living in this world. And yeah, it's it must be a really scary thing. That's why I only have dogs. You're so smart. Although <laughs> I will tell you, my dog. I have five dogs. I was just talking. One of them just came up and put his foot in the soup <laughs> and then threw it on the ground and then drank it and ran out. And and my wife, Cheryl, was like, that's, but it's such a good dog. I'm like, that's not, by definition, that's a bad dog. That's a bad that dog, dog but I'm sure adorable and, and is worthy of having, deserving of that soup. You're, you, um, do you do animal rescues? I think you oh, do. Oh, well, I don't do it myself, but, well, yeah, we do. I gosh, we do, um. Uh, I, I I don't go into uh, the um, the shelters and pick out animals that would kill me, but I support yeah. them. And we always have old rescues. We we uh, adopt through a place called a purposeful rescue, and we'll get old dogs. And the thing is, is then they're gone in a couple of years. But still, they had a great couple of years. Their last live last years of their lives were really great. And so we have one old girl right now, and we lost one at Thanksgiving, and we've got a little puppy who's probably going to be running up here that we found at Runyon Canyon in L.A. Someone just dumped him. Aw. We haven't done it in a couple of years. Well, more than a couple, but there were there were a few years where we would identify dogs in the shelters, my wife and I, and, and then kind of have a, a network of people that were likely to adopt them. Yeah. And we would go in and swoop in like an army uh, – uh, event. We would take them all at once, bring them to the house. We'd have mobile vets who would come and, you know, check them out. We have mobile groomers and then we'd have like a showroom Aww. and people would come. It was the cutest. The problem was then you always took, we always ended up with more dogs for us 
Yeah, for you, that's then, right. Now you have five. For yeah, us. We had, we had four. Our, our, the height of uh, our, our, our dog population was four. And that was, that was pretty tough. And we said three is the most. And so we have two now. We might get another one. We'll see. I'm, I'm a big believer in non-dog na- non-pet names for pets. Oh, what, what we do you know, us too. Names? Yeah, we, we do people names. Bernice, Millie, Arbuckle. Arbuckle's kind of, but it's a fatty Arbuckle because he was a fat dog. Yeah, we do like yeah, real names. Course, Olivia. I, but I, I've always wanted to have a dog like named Diane or Karen. Yes. Well, well that's what Linda Brooke, that's why I love Linda, to call a dog Linda. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, we, we had Wayne and David and Buster. And, love it. You know, we, David. David. David was one of the great dog names of all time. That's great. We had a Kevin. We had a Kevin once, too. Oh, now, but here's the thing is because I'm just a big pile of silly <laughs> that the names last for two seconds and then they become baby talk gibberish names. Do you have names, that? yeah. Like my dog, Rumi, named after the poet, I call him Doom Doom. That's all I call him. I called him Rumi for about a week. And then it was Doom Doom, Boom Boom, Doomer, Rheumatologist. Yeah, Roo- Rumi, Doomy, Zuma Zoom Zoomy, like, yeah. You never call them by their names. No, never. No. Um, okay, explain Rumi to me because yeah. uh, I've been, people have been trying to get me to read Rumi forever. Yeah. Um, if I get one more fucking Rumi book from Chris Martin, <laughs> oh, I'm going to strangle him and the entire band of Coldplay. Yeah. I get it. They're evolved. They're smarter than I am. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not smarter than you are. You know, I, 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 uh, uh, my partner, Jennifer, she came up with the name Rumi, and I have two Rumi books right here just for effect. I can't say yes. that I um, gravitate toward him, but I really want to because he's supposed to just be a delight about the, rela- the, the relationship with the divine and how he makes it romantic. And I don't know, it just doesn't grab me that way. And I bet everybody's lying who says they get him. I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it either. I find it. I, I've tried, mm-hmm. and I I, I literally too. think that it is. Um, I like the idea of me reading Rumi. I you don't too. like reading. Love the Rumi. idea and, of you reading Rumi. It's so awesome. And here's the other thing: not to brag, please, because I've told the other side. I've told the other side of this story. I once had my IQ tested, and it was the worst thing I ever did. It was horrible. I should never have done it because it was higher. It is when the result. Oh, it was really low. When it came when it came back, it was. It was like not good news. Okay. It was what the the it, it was like like I th- I didn't think I had long to live in the looks of the of the um, you're too dumb to live. Yes, but but on the other side of it, it within that I was off the charts like crazy. They'd never tested anybody like me on other areas, and one of them was reading comprehension. Huh. So I may not have a high IQ. But I, my reading comprehension is like otherworldly. And if I can't read Rumi with my big honking, crazy high IQ testing, I think it says something. Yeah, I wish I had that. That's one of the things that I'd like, if there's such a thing as praying that I give little prayers for, is please, please allow me not only to comprehend what I'm reading, because, you know, I'm in the Twitter age where <laughs> you're just, you're, you're, it's like bursts of adrenaline. Boom, boom. I can't go, I can't read a whole article. Please let me not only uh, be able to comprehend it, but retain it. Please let me be a student. Please let me hold on to this stuff because I'm interested, but, you know, I'm just, I zip off and I don't like that. I want to, I want to. Are you good at, are you good at memorizing dialogue? Is that hard for you? Not anymore. Dialogue is fine, but Rob, almost every role I've had, I have monologues. I just, Mm -hmm. I stand up and tell people what's what. And so if I have like a back and forth, I'm like, easy, but the monologues, oh, like uh, when I was doing Glee, I had 
two, three-page monologues. Who was writing Glee when you was was it was Brad Falchuk writing it? They, yeah, Brad Who's and right? Ian. Uh, Ian uh, Brennan is the and Ryan were the first three writer, writers. I am the, the character of Sue Sylvester is the brainchild of Ian Brennan, another Chicagoan, right. just like myself. I'm a great deal older than he is, but there is a particular sensibility in it. Irish Catholic Chicago sensibility. It's kind of dark and um, mean and has really like satanic images. That's Ian. <laughs> That's Ian. Good, good Catholic boy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, 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 as a, as a new member to the Ryan Murphy universe, um, I, it's, I have a total understanding for now and, and, and appreciation for what it's like to work in that, in that a lot of people say that they have worlds. The, the world of Marvel. Ryan Murphy has a world. He has a world, definitely. And, yeah. And you're you're on the early Mount Rushmore with your sweatsuit. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah, that was what a gift that was. What a gift that whole time was. And and I got to say some of the most ridiculously vile things ever ever said on television. So fun. Yeah. And then um, when you were on on Glee, how how much? How much thought went into the the, the wardrobe? Because I love your, I just love the notion of you in these track suits. It was very, it was just the absolute great, <laughs> so iconic. It's an iconic in, image. Indeed, and a really strong choice too. And and not like Lululemon, but it was like Adidas, even though Mm-mm. we didn't use Adidas. You know, with the stripe down the leg and the stripe down the arm. It was, it was very Run DMC. Yeah, right, was, exactly. Honestly. <laughs> or uh, what is it, like an uh, old Russian guy hiking up the hills. I don't know if you ever yes, hike yes. in L.A., but every once in a while you'll see these old Russian guys in, in total sweaty, sweatsuits, um, matching sweatsuits. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, but so that was Ryan Murphy. That was his um, his thing. And, and they would be of different colors as they were. I mean, I had an entire rainbow of um, tracksuits. It was the, it, the best thing. Then, is it was like going to work in your pajamas, basically. Comfy. Which I'm I'm aspiring to. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm I'm aspiring to get to the point where I can wear my own. like Adam Sandler who just when he does movies I've talked about this before he just it's like wherever he took his last vacation is where the movie is going to take place and he's going to wear his own clothes yes and exactly and it, it yeah he's going to wear a hat his favorite hat and his favorite jersey yeah how did you find out that Carol Burnett was going to play your mom walk me through this because it's one of the things that people yeah. don't understand about being on TV that I love is you're on a show and inevitably you'll be standing by the monitor and. Ian, in your case, or somebody will go, so um, looks like uh, we're going to introduce your mom on episode uh, seven. You're like, really? Well, that's really exciting. Who are you thinking of? And it's inevitably these insane people. And then you end up with like a perfectly fine actor, but it's never who you said. Right. You got Carol fucking Burnett. Oh, I know. How did that happen? Insane. Um, First of all, Carol Burnett got a hold of Ryan Murphy and said, I I want to play in your sandbox. Uh, So whatever Mm. you want me to do? And he said, well, why don't you play um, uh, Sue Sylvester's uh, Nazi hunting mother? And uh, Amazing. And, and, yeah. And then he said to her, what song would you like to sing? And she said, well, since our our show is set in Ohio, why don't we sing that uh, that song from my sister Eileen? Why, oh, why did I leave Ohio? And so that's how that all that happened. It was her call. She decided. So that it did blow my mind. And, you know, I'm a big Montecito fan. And Carol lives in Montecito. She's one of your neighbors. So uh, mm-hmm. we've I've had brunch with her up at the uh, Biltmore a couple of times. And she's I did jury duty with her husband, Brian. <laughs> so I've, oh, she's become <laughs> a very good friend. Yeah. Yeah, that was I, amazing. I, what? 
one of the many times where I just get so grateful for, you know, living the life I've been able to to live is when I see Carol, because I can remember like it was yesterday, waiting in front of the television for the Carol Burnett show to come on. And, you know, because I'm from Ohio and I was oh, living in Ohio watching it, of course, you'd, you'd, I'd be eating some real like Midwestern, like Jello with milk in it. You know, that's <laughs> oh, I what remember we, that, yes. Do you remember Jello with milk yeah, in it? Yeah, I do remember what the Jell-O hell with was milk. that? Crazy. I know. How did, who thought of that? Yeah, crazy. Because Jello isn't gross enough. You got to add some milk and stir it You're up. You're like, you know what would be great? <laughs> Curdling milk. <laughs> in this as you watch it was great the carol burnett show yeah and then i be then i became obsessed with as i moved to la and got here is is cbs in television city like you'd pass on fairfax where they shot it sure yeah yeah and the uh, the mother's brother was was across the hall yeah absolutely didn't that blow your mind and it blew my it blew my mind and and you're you're from illinois yeah, right yeah from a suburb from? of chicago dalton did you have, when you were growing up, like legitimate summer stock in your area? No, no, not at all. No. no, 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 we didn't have that. My parents did a show at the church called Port of Call, where they would perform in the, the, the high school and, and each room would be a different Port of Call, but that's it. We didn't perform. No, we didn't have it. Did you have oh, it in Ohio? So, yeah, yeah. There was big time. We had a thing called the Kenley Players. Mm-hmm. And which I'm obsessed with. John Kenley passed away a few years ago. He was 97 years old. And he had a, a circuit of theaters, um, but there were big Memorial Hall theaters. Uh-huh. Like, so it's 1,100, 2,500 seats. And he would have a, a, a rotating shows that would come through. So you'd see like Sandy Duncan doing Peter Pan oh. and then Harvey Corman in Under the Yum Yum Tree oh, and then cow. Rip Taylor in The Music Man. And like it was one step away from a, a waiting for Guffman <laughs> type of situation. And with one star, right? One 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 star that would be well, in the cast. One and then star, the rest, everybody else would be local. 100%. And it was like you'd play Warren, Ohio, Lansing, Michigan, Dayton, Cincinnati, Columbus, and that was sort of it. And and you just know it was every sort of second lead on whatever the hit sitcom was of the time mm-hmm. coming in to just get fucking blottoed through <laughs> their summer vacation. Yeah. And making a, some nice little coin on the side. Yeah, I'll bet. And were you in those shows? Would you uh, audition for I, them to play parts? I, I auditioned and I never got one. No. I never... But I was really, I was also really young. So uh-huh. yeah. I was like eight and nine years right. old. Right, right, right. So I, I I auditioned for Oliver mm-hmm. for one of the, you know, the chorus boys in Oliver. And Vincent Price was Fagin. Oh, my God. Vincent Price. He must have been old. He was old. I mean, I saw great shit. I saw, um, but that's the thing I thought I in, when because then when I moved to California, there was actually less theater in LA than there was in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And where you were at, you, but you were at Steppenwolf, correct? I was in Chicago. So, and I probably, one of the big reasons we didn't have regional theater is we had Chicago 20 minutes away, which That's you know, right. all the yeah. big shows would come in. Um, and then uh, Chicago's a great actor's town. It's, it's, 
a lot yeah. of a lot of uh, non-equity act um, acting ensembles, and um, Steppenwolf was one of those, and then it blew up and became huge. And indeed, I wasn't yeah. in the ensemble, but I did four or five shows there. I toured with Second City. I was in the touring company, and I did a lot of what we call off loop. Uh, loop being the center of, uh, of the um, city, uh, non-equity off-loop theater company. So I have, have a great deal of, you know, experience doing kind of the stuff where you bring your own costumes and you build your own sets and you, you, you know, you, you clean the toilets, that st- sort of stuff. Do you, um, when you were at Second City, were you ever there like when Lauren Michaels was coming in to look for the next cast of yes, Saturday Night Live, yes, that stuff? I- yeah, I I was, and uh, I, I was never chosen for that sort of thing. But I was there when, um, well, Bonnie Hunt wasn't, on, uh, uh, but she became a big star, like Bonnie Hunt and oh. um, Joel Murray and uh, Tim Meadows was there. Dave, I don't know if you know these guys, David Pasquese, these yeah. are really great actresses, you know, that I, that I know. Um, and they would get, you know, kind of plucked out of there either by Lauren Michaels or by a television series in, you know, in L.A. And they'd go they go to pilot season and everybody would see if they're, oh, are they going to become a big star? I I can only imagine what it's like to be in one of those, you know, amazing historic um, ensembles. Yeah. And then, you know, t- tonight's the night. Do you know who's out in the house tonight? Yeah. I, you know, and in a way, too, it was kind of a shame because there was such a purity to doing theater in Chicago. We did, it, you know, when I was doing it, there there weren't a lot of people plucking us out that only happened at second city main stage and you know a steppenwolf was its own thing but um there was kind of this thing especially at second city you'd get in the touring company and then you right away want to get on one of the stages and then when you get on one of the stages you want to get on the main stage so there was always this kind of a climbing thing where you were never happy with where you were you're always looking to the next step so i didn't suffer from that because i never made it to the next steps (laughs) (laughs) um I, the other thing I find interesting about you is, and you can help me with this. We, we talked about Rumi. You frankly weren't much help. With yeah, Rumi. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, that was disappointing. But you have another you have another chance here with telling me that I do need to get into transcendental meditation oh, yes. because everybody I admire isn't does it. Yeah. And uh, by the way, not a lot of people do it. I'm not saying that, but the, but the few people I know who do it love it. Yeah. It is. It's really great. So it, when you hear of TM, that's what it is. It's Transcendental mm-hmm. Meditation. It, um, it, uh, it's centuries old, but it had its popularity here in the 60s, early 70s, when um, Maharishi came over and the Beatles uh, went to ashrams with him and everything. But it's 20 minutes a day. It's scientifically proven. There's no woo-woo about it. Um, you can get woo-woo with it if you want, but basically it's pure science. You sit for 20 minutes, and at some point in you're chanting internally the uh, mantra that they give you, and you don't tell anybody what that is. You never say it out loud. You just chant it internally. And at some point, I mean, it's not like lights go off. That happens occasionally, but you just kind of drop. And yeah. it's interesting that it's called transcendental, which means a high, but it's really a drop. It's almost like... David Lynch said it felt like somebody, he was in an elevator and someone snapped the cables and you go, and in that you get a a level of rest that you can't get in deep sleep. It's, um, it's really, you know, I, I like, uh, love doing it. I do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night and you have to be trained by a uh, teacher of meditation, but you don't need money to do it. Uh, if you have the money, you pay them, but if you don't, they'll do it for free. 
And um, I'm associated with the David Lynch Foundation because it's right down the street. Yep. And that's where I learned. Yep. And um, uh, it, yeah, it's really wonderful. It's, it's a lovely thing to w- look into. Who bestows the mantra on you? Your teacher. And you go through a, a whole class. There's usually about five or six of you in a class. And it's about five days uh, or maybe it's four days. And you have to do them uh, in a row. And the teacher takes each one of you after she's explained or he's explained scientifically what happens to your body uh, and your consciousness when you're meditating. Then she has a little bit of a uh, a ritual where you go into a room with her and she whispers into your ear. Hopefully you're good ear. I'm deaf in one ear. Are you deaf in one ear? I'm a, yes, I'm yes, deaf in one too. ear too. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. I'm always like, oh, this one, please don't whisper it in my deaf ear. I'll be I, like George I know, Bailey. I know. <laughs> yeah, and That's they right. whisper hopefully in your good ear, and then they do it just that once, and you remember it, and you and and from that moment on, you're meditating with the mantra. I've got to do this. It's one of those things. It's been on my my bucket list to to try, um, and my problem whenever I've tried to meditate is I just go to sleep. That's okay too. I just get sleepy. They'll tell you it's okay. That's okay too. You don't have to stay awake. In fact, um, if I don't do my second meditation at night, it's totally within the rules to uh, do uh, falling asleep for the last, um, you know, whatever, however many minutes before you fall asleep. Yeah, it's really it's the easiest thing you will ever do because there it's the most forgiving method, and there are. Some rules, but well, because wait, wait, because I that's insane. Because I keep here. I don't know why I had it in my head that it was this unbelievably rigorous discipline. No, it's not. It's easy and forgiving and gentle, really? and kind. It's lovely. Yeah. Now there are some people who go off on meditation courses and they'll meditate for like 12, 18 hours a day. But no, no, no. That the twenty minutes a day is literally just sitting and you know you don't use your phone for a timer. You use a regular clock. And you just kind of have it off to the side. You close your eyes and just chant them. And, you know, you're supposed to, thoughts are supposed to come up. You don't stop your thoughts. Yes. They come up and you you go back to your mantra. Somebody told me that with when when your thoughts come up and you're trying to meditate, that this, this, this visual worked for me, that it's like the game of Frogger, where the logs come by and you just let them, those let are them go thoughts. by. Yeah. It's just a game of Frogger. Here comes the lily pad and let yeah. it go by. Yeah, there you don't have the, to attach right? to them. And if you attach to them, that's okay too. It, it, that's, like I said, it's the most forgiving, gentle, kind thing you could do for yourself. And it really affects your nervous system. It really calms What would you, you say? What, so the, what's the benefit that you, that you find that you like the most from it? Uh, I see. Is it energy and calmness? That too. Uh, I'm not so much, I don't feel the energy so much, but you talk to Jerry Seinfeld and he does a whole comic uh, uh, monologue about how it actually energizes him. He says he's an energy junkie. I haven't noticed that so much and that's not my deal anyway, but it's a, a presence and a calmness and a um, sleep and I look better. Honest to God, it is, <laughs> it is like <Wow>. anti-aging. <laughs> It gets everything just kind of going in a real smooth kind of, you know, it's just everybody's going to have a different, um, uh, you know, great thing about it. But I I can't recommend it highly enough. And um, I'm sure there's somebody in Montecito who's a teacher. I guarantee you there is a teacher in Montecito. There's so much there's so much of that up here. Uh, This is a big yoga place, which is another thing that I've got to get into, because, again, everybody who practices yoga, particularly as they get older, Mm -hmm. they're just, they just look so young and they're, they're just so, I mean, I, I'm still recovering from the evening I 
the 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 uh, weekend I spent at Sting's house, where I woke up and he was nude, uh, <laughs> practicing thinking. yoga in the garden. It kind of I was like kind of I had that visual in my head that I need to either accept or get over <laughs> or embrace. It. Just accept it, and it'll go away like Frogger. It'll just go away. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. If you're thinking about doing some home remodeling, check out Window World. Go to windowworld.com and check out their Windows Inspiration Guide. The guide is a dream book of page after page of beautiful windows. It's not just about how good they look. These beauties earned the Good Housekeeping Seal and Energy Star Certification. Go to windowworld.com to schedule your free consultation. Tell them you heard about it here on Literally, with me, Rob Lowe, Window World, America's Exterior Remodeler. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com slash Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. Were you on West Wing when I was there? Yeah, I was, was yes. Actor? In fact, you were very nice to me. And you probably don't remember, but you gave me a ride in that. Your, your kids were little and you gave me a ride oh in the golf God. cart. You rode, you drove me to, uh, from the parking lot to set at Warner no Brothers. No way. I, yeah. I remember that. I remember that golf cart. Yeah, your I remember kids that. were young. I think that both of them were there, two boys, and they were like, you know, four and five. 
That's right. Yes, yeah, so I, I did two um, episodes. I played a, 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 a reporter, and I, I it was one day of shooting, but it got it put into two different episodes, and they turned out to be the two of the most like iconic West Wing episodes. It's when he shot. Remember, and it ends. Oh, of course. And it ends one season, then it be, opens the other season. So, so many people know me from that, Rob. I can't tell you because it's uh, they're really two, they're two very you know iconic episodes of that show. I remember that scene, the 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 shooting sequences in in DC. That was a big moment for the show and a, a big a big moment to shoot. I remember that. I'm so glad oh, that's the episode you're in. I have to go back and look at that. Yeah, one. two of them. The the last one and then the first one of the next season. It's amazing how that show um just how it what it means to people. Yeah. I mean, like you have you have glee, so you know what that's that's like. I mean, the, the glee fans are Is there a name for glee fans? Did it, anybody ever Gleeks. What is it? G L E K. And what are you uh, West Wingers called? Wingnuts. Wingnuts. Yeah. yeah, it was such a fantasy of such a good man in the um, in the White House, and such a you know such high principles, and everybody around him you know believed in him. And I, I think maybe Obama might have been as close as we've gotten to that. Yeah, Ken- I mean Kennedy. You know, there was that thing. Um, Aaron would never reference a president past Kennedy. So if you go look, yeah. that was part of the of the of the world of it because if you started referencing Carter or Reagan or Ford or whatever, you would I think people began to like go, well, wait a minute, is this real? Is this not real? So I always thought it was fascinating that we we lived in a world where there really wasn't a president after John Kennedy, yeah, yeah, in the West Wing, yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense too because you start getting into people's um, point of view about the more recent presidents. And when you go to Kennedy, there's just kind of a glow around him. Uh, You know, people don't say bad things about John F. Kennedy, even people who are, uh, you know, way to the other side of the the spectrum. You know, he's kind of considered this in a bubble of this, um, you know, Camelot. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm having so much fun because I have, I have, I have your right next to me. I have your filmography. And every time I look over, I see something that's more fun than the last thing. <laughs> I see that you are, oh, this is too good. Well, first of all, you're in The Fugitive. Yeah. I, I'm. So, tell me about, I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Did you work, was Harrison, what's what's that? So I'm going to go back and look at that one too. Yeah, um, I was doing a play in Chicago. You know, we shot that in Chicago. That was shot in Chicago, all yep. in Chicago. And I was living in Chicago and I did a play called The Real Live Brady Bunch. And it was this ridiculous thing that we were doing at a little theater on the north side of the city. And somehow the assistant of our director, Andy, um, whose name is escaping me now, but he has a- I- I'm going to think of it too. Yes, he lives in Montecito. He lives in Montecito, he, he lives in Montecito. yeah. Montecito. Nicest guy. And uh, she said- uh, Davis, Andy Davis. Andy Davis, yeah, Andy Davis. Um, His production company's in Montecito. And uh, his assistant said, hey, uh, there's this girl, I think she'd be great for the scientist. And he said, oh, well, hire her. And they offered me $8,000. And I was like, oh, that's so much money. And and I got to work with Harrison Ford. It was the greatest thing in the world. And Harrison was very nice to me. And he was not happy with the way the scene was written. So he he said, come with me. And he grabbed an umbrella because it was raining. We went into his trailer. We worked out the beats. And we came back and shot it. And we shot it that way. So I was like kind of working on the script with Harrison Ford. And I was, you know, 29 years old. It was mind blowing. And he was this huge star. So that was pretty amazing. That is 
That's I, I was hoping that was going to be sort of the answer that like <laughs> that Harrison was great and it was in there and that I love the idea of you hammering out a scene with Harrison Ford and the Fugitive. Yeah, it was really cool. It was like I don't like these lines. We're going to work it out, and and so we we came up with our own thing, and we and it, it was good, and it was good. He's such a stud. I yeah. I was um I did a TV series called Brothers and Sisters with his wife Callista Flockhart, who I adore. Yeah, and, and we would be. I have such a great memory of. We were in, she was in this, Calista, this beautiful ball gown, and I'm in this black tie with the, the Geary-designed L.A. Philharmonic building, and the moon is rising, and it's late on a Friday, as you know. We always shoot late on Friday nights, and the phone is, her phone is ringing and ringing and ringing, and she's not picking up. She goes, it's Harrison. And, and I'm like, and I'm getting more and more nervous the more times he's calling and she's not picking up the phone. And it's Harrison. I go, it's Harrison Ford. You should, you should really <laughs> pick, pick up, up the phone. phone. I mean, you don't let. I, I don't. I said. I said, Clista, I don't want to hear that bullwhip. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. That's not. Um, so you're in the Chris Guest universe. Yep. You're a certified member. He's my one of my favorite directors ever. I didn't. I think I already talked about Waiting for Guffman. Didn't I already? Re, I think I already mentioned that in this podcast. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Were you? Uh, you've never done a movie with him, though, right? No, no. I would love yeah. to. You're too famous. Um, he would tell you you're too famous. He, yeah, I'm, well, I'm too famous now too. <laughs> oh, that's that's he likes interesting. It, he, he likes wants, people who you when you look at them on screen, you don't know who they are. Damn it! Yeah, I know. I'm screwed. <laughs> what? Uh, but wait. Tell me about, he directed you in a Frosted Flakes commercial? This is yes. my favorite factoid ever. Do you know Sean Masterson, the actor, funny guy? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, yep. he, he's a Chicago dude too, but we were both out here and we auditioned for the Christopher Guest commercial. We were both cast and we didn't know it was a Christopher Guest commercial. And this was after Waiting for Guffman. Um, and I, lo- of course, loved that movie and had the preposterous fantasy of, I wonder if I'll ever get to do that. And so we showed up for the callback. For this commercial, and I walk in, and it's Chris Guest, and um, I know it's crazy. I did not expect him. They, there was no sign that said Chris Guest, and uh, and then after he cast me in that, and then when we were shooting that commercial, he said, "You know, I do movies," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know." And, and he uh, said, "Maybe we'll get to work someday." And then I ran into him at a restaurant one morning, and he said, "Ah, I forgot about you. Come to my office," and he offered me a role in Best in Show. He had completely forgotten oh. about me, and then he saw me in this restaurant, and I was like, what if I went to a different restaurant? That's the way it happens, listener. <laughs> exactly. Be careful what restaurants you go to. <laughs> You're a struggling actor out there. It's all about where you eat. <laughs> uh, first of all, Best in Show is, I mean, we've already established how much we love dogs. So yes. we're so in that world. Yeah. It, it's what a frosted I don't think of Chris Guest in a Frosted Flakes commercial. Was there anything about the Frosted Flakes commercial that I would watch and go, "Oh yeah, I can see that that's Chris oh, Guest." Oh, absolutely. We improvised the whole thing. It was really goofy. And you know, Chris Guest direct I don't know that he does anymore, but at that time he was directing like a commercial a day. And anything you saw wow. on te- yeah, anything you saw on television that you laughed at, Chris directed it. In fact, he's the guy who started the um uh what's the sports uh uh, a cable network, I forget. Oh, ESPN. E- ESPN. You know those kind of weird commercials that they used to do, where the um, uh, the, the athletes would be walking through the corporate offices and yes. shaky camera, and they were funny and and irreverent. Yes. That that's Chris Guest. He he created that. 
I had no, yeah, I know exactly what those, those commercials are absolute classics. So you have our Frosted Flakes commercial. If you saw that, you would see we're like out in front of supposedly um, the Kellogg's Corporation in Battle Creek, Michigan, looking for Tony Tiger, Tony the Tiger. You know, we're stalking him. We're trying to get a picture with him. And it's just so weird and crazy and um, completely improvised, just like uh, waiting for Guffman. And so- you know, because when when the closest I've done to stuff like that would be Parks and Rec. Yes. Where there's certainly a lot of great improvisational people who, you know, the top of their their game. But there was always sort of a structure. Well, the scripts were great. They were great. We shot the scripts ninety eight percent of the time. But then we would get a version where we could improv on on the guest stuff. Yeah. How is there any script? Or no. An outline. How does how there's does an it, walk me through for sure. the process? It looks just like a script. And um, it'll say, like, uh, scene one exterior, um, uh, the, the park. Uh, 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 Corky and so-and-so talk about the upcoming competition. And that's it. And then it'll say scene number two. Uh, Chrissy and whatever Jennifer Coolidge's character's name uh, are uh, discussing dog kennels and their, their, you know, championship poodle. Um, and there are some plot points he'll want us to get in. And he told us who our characters were. He gave us a backstory. And then he turns over the wardrobe people to you and he says, how do you want your character to look? And then you tell the wardrobe person and you shop with them. Um, And and then the the set designer comes over and says, what do you think your house looks like? Or what do you think your office looks like? And then they go off and build it. I mean, it's crazy, crazy fun. And And it's really kind of you are calling the shots. Chris gives you certainly gives you some great information about your character and what has to happen in the movie. And we know what the series of scenes are going to be, but how it, you know, how, how the character is expressed, how the character looks and sounds and acts and, and uh, is all up to you. And after a take, is there that moment where everybody huddles up and goes, okay, this was genius. Let's, 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 let's do another and do more in here. And maybe let's move away from this part. Or, or yes, the, or the he will do that. It's, he, he's it, it, very few words, but after we do like the master and he doesn't know what it's going to look like. It's just he rolls the camera and he rolls and he rolls and he rolls and you improvise and you're you're doing blah, 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 blah. And then he'll finally yell cut and he'll say, very good. Um, He might not even say very good. He'll say, uh, we don't need this part that when you talked about that, we don't need that. We have to make sure we get this in every uh, every shot and that's it. Well, let's just do it again. And the camera gets closer and closer and closer. Uh, and we've kind of decided what the master looks like. And then we just keep shooting that, Ugh. but at different angles, the camera getting closer and closer. And then on, on different. Sound, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> it's fantastic. And it's not the hardest part about it is what you do to yourself and your brain. Cause it's really easy to do. And after about, uh, by the time I got to a mighty wind, I was much more relaxed about it. And I didn't stress so much about it because you feel like it's all up to you. But as long as you've done your acting homework, you know who your person is, you know what you're wearing, you know how you sound um, and what the person's point of view is, you just show up. It's that, it Ugh. is that easy, but you just have, you kind of have to pack heavy to get there. You know what I like of Chris's that's um, people forget about is, is um, I had Marty Short on and we were talking about it, is the big picture. Picture, yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was a lot different than what they, he, he does most of the time, but he and Michael McKean wrote that. Those movies are just... I'm, I, you have my, I, I, I'm jealous, very <laughs> jealous of that. Um, how long have you been deaf in your, your right ear, just like me? Um, I was, I had a really high fever as a baby and uh, like an infant. And that's when we think it happened. How about you? Same thing? 
Same. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, by the way, even the way you describe it is exactly what my parents say. They, I don't know. You just like, it's like a really high fever when you're an infant. And like, we think that's when it happened. I'm like, how about some more details? Yeah. How about when did you find no out? No details are forthcoming. forthcoming. When did you realize that um, it wasn't? Because I thought it was normal to hear out of one ear that I didn't say anything about it. When did you realize? Um, I, uh, they, my mom tells the story that she knew something was wrong. It was before I could talk even, apparently, oh. mm-hmm. because she put the phone up to me to say I had a grandpa mm-hmm. and there was like nothing going on in my face. And she said, all of a sudden she knew something was right. She put the phone to the other side and I was like, and then back. So apparently for me, it happened, you know, like within the first year. Yeah. I was about eight years old. And, you know, it had happened when I was an infant. And my brother, remember transistor radios where you put it in your ear? It's just one thing. It's a, it's a, an ear thing. And my brother was switching ears. And I said, you can't do that. And my mom said, well, why can't he do that? You know, it perked her ears up, her ears up. And I said, because you only hear out of one ear. And she was like, nope. <laughs> and I went into a doctor. <laughs> and, and they tested my hearing. And I overheard my mother talking to the doctor saying, will she live a normal life? And the doctor said, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> my mom worried about things. <laughs> that's, that's, that, nothing would instill good, solid feeling of quite like, will she live a she normal life? She lived a normal life. life. And I was like, yeah. And the doctor said, I'm sorry. Yeah, he said, no, she, she will won't. never hear <laughs> the Beatles, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band In or Dark Side of the Moon as they were meant to be heard. Exactly. I always wonder, too, are we missing anything in terms of we do have stereo sound because the one ear we have is really oh, good. But I wonder if we're, we're missing, missing everything. I, I got news for you. Huh. I'm perfectly happy. Very well adjusted. You are, too. But let's just be honest. We're missing a fucking shit ton of stuff. Oh, wow. Because I love music. And no, is there more? No, no. One, I think if we, if 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 one day we could both hear out of our other ears, first of all, I think our heads would our heads would explode. The head would explode. Yes, I think so. They would literally explode. Yeah. And and then the other thing is like I would finally be able to stop doing what I hate. So I come home and I go, "Hello," and 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 they go, "Hi, honey, I'm in here." I go. I don't know where here is. Because I don't know where sound comes from. Me I too. I, I don't have know that where too. the sound's coming from. <laughs> I have that too. I, I don't know where it's coming from. Like so there'll be a phone ringing and I'm, you know, my phone. And I, I have no idea where it's coming from. Here's a good one for you. How about when the, those detectors and the ceilings and the beep. Oh, and you can't beep. find the And then source. you change the batteries and you don't know where they're coming from. And you can, uh, it's, ah, worse. <laughs> exactly. Um, here's the other thing is I'm convinced that people think I'm a dick because they're, I'm surely been untold times mm-hmm. where people have come up to me on the street and got my bad ear. Yep, me too. And you just or in a crowd them. and been like, "Hey, I just want to say hello," and I don't even hear them. Yeah, so I don't react. They must think I'm a total asshole. Yep, my uh, partner's always on the lookout for me. She'll like hit me in the shoulder and go, "She's talking to you." Oh, <laughs> is he your right or know, your left I- ear, Rob? It's, I, I can hear out of my left. My right is the one that's gone. Oh, me too. Exactly the same. Same as. Um, and then how about when we're, when we're doing, uh, acting and we have to talk on the phone <laughs> and they like, want I you can't to use even this put ear? the phone on my ear It feels because so I've weird. never done it. Mm-hmm. So I will literally put the phone receiver on my forehead 
I have no muscle memory. Yeah, it feels weird um, on the the wrong ear too. Nothing feels right about it. No, nothing. Yeah, I mean, I um, there uh, somebody else famously was deaf in one ear. It's a good it's, Colbert. It's a, I think. Well, I think we should Colbert. That's right. Yeah. We should make it our own fun club. We should. <laughs> um, how are you loving doing Hollywood Game Night? Oh yeah, it's it, you know it hasn't. Wait, we haven't done it in. Um, uh, oh my God, like a year, but we just did a, uh, quarantine edition where I shot it from my home and it's going to be on Tuesday. I'm sure these will, oh, this, wow. this show will come out after it's been on, but right. yeah, yeah. yeah, I shot it in my house and we had six celebrities and we shot, uh, at their house. So it was all of us together and it went off without a hitch technologically. It was really good. It worked out and we raised money for Red Nose Day, which is, uh, you know, that organization that uh, lifts children of out of poverty all over the world. It's a wonderful Wonderful organization. Have you ever had anybody who was terrible at the game? You're like, wow, I'm a big fan of theirs, but boy, they're boy, they're bad stupid. At this game. Um, I never, you know, not yes. so much. I, uh, there have been a couple of people who were so self conscious they never got into it, and only like two that I can think of that were, um, you know, everybody comes to have fun, and it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. I don't even notice if you're good or bad. What I notice is how much fun you have at it. And there have been a couple of people who have you know, just could not loosen up and, you know, no, no amount of booze loosened them up. Uh, but for the most part, everybody Ooh. shows up and has a blast. Well, who came up with the actual game? Hollywood Game Night? Yeah. The show, well, the show was uh, uh, Sean Hayes. You know, he has really great- That's right. He has wonderful game nights at his home. That's right. Um, and they were That's always right. crazy. He made up the games himself. And then he, you know, smart guy said, let's put this on television. And um, that's how I got the job. He's a smart dude. He's a smart dude. Yeah. And you definitely don't want to be on the other side of him competitively on any kind of a game. No. And and he's on our show a few times and he was on the this one. And yeah, he's he's great. He's the master. He's the original guy. He makes up his own games. You know, he's uh, we, we have a. A, a team on our um, show that make him up now. But when, when, I, when I would go to his house and have a game night, he'd do the strangest, most wonderful games that he made up himself. Who, um, like when I have sports people on the show, I go, name your top five basketball players. If you had to put together your your top celebrity game team, mm-hmm. Sean Hayes, for sure. Yeah, Sean Hayes. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. Um, she's brilliant. Anthony Anderson is really good. Um, who else is really, really good? Uh, Kristen Bell. She was on our show the other day too. She was oh, great. She's so great. Yeah, she's wonderful, and she's really bright and 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 just real. She's really good at it. Yeah. Have you ever been on on a game show that wasn't your own? Yes. Have you ever uh, been a contestant? Yes. It's called Twenty Five Words or Less, and it's um, uh, 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 Lisa Kudrow's new show and Dan Bukatinsky. I don't know if you know them. They're producing. Oh, I love them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and it's on Fox, and it's syndicated, and uh, Meredith Vieira is the host. And I've done probably 25 of them. It's syndicated, so they shoot like four or five in a day, maybe even right. six in a day. And I love it. It's off the top of your head. Like, it's like the fast thinking. The reference level is like you have to read People magazine. You have to know like pop culture. And um, right. it's so much fun. I love it. Yeah, I, I love doing that show. I did. Lisa had this great show called "Who Do You Think You Are?" Yes, which you did is that. A, the genealogy show. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! It, it it was one of the great experiences of my life. They come to you and they say, "So, 
it's a genealogy show. We're going to explore your family tree. Right. Um, and we're going to take, t- like, however long it takes to do it. Yeah. It may take us a year. Mm-hmm. It may take us nine months. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But if we find something, we'll come back to you. Are you willing to do the show, which would require you then to travel potentially for eight days? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I put it off. Like, how do you schedule it? I don't And I put it off and put it off and put it off. And I finally said I would do it. And a year, a year later, yeah. they came back and said, your episode's ready. <gasps> Get a passport. And you are going to pack for cold weather. Oh, my God. And that's all you know. Yeah, yeah. That's all you know. Wow. And I went to LAX. You don't know where you're going. I flew to Washington, D.C. And... They, I went to the uh, the Library of Congress, and then I went. Then I had to fly to Germany, <gasps> and the long and short of it was just and, and the the sort of mystery and the misdirects of how you get there is is the beauty of it. But the, the long and short of it was that my five time great grandfather was conscripted into the Hessian mercenary army. Out of Fürstenhagen, Germany, I went and saw the house he lived in. I saw the church records from 1600. He arrived in Manhattan in 1776 oh. and fought against George Washington at the Battle of Trenton, where Washington crossed the Delaware. Oh my God! So he was a mercenary. In that battle, were were three future presidents mm-hmm. and uh, the first member of the Supreme Court. My my five times great grandpa was taken prisoner uh, and then was given his freedom if he would uh, b- become an American citizen and then ended up raising money for the American Revolutionary troops and thereby making me a, a son of the American Revolution in the wow. most roundabout way imaginable. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Do you know, they uh, looked, did my stuff too and they didn't find anything interesting enough. <laughs> See that they, but that's they, true. That if some they don't people, find they, a story, right? they don't do it. And you know, their friends. You would think they would want to do this for their friend Jane, and, and they didn't. You, you think, think they'd make something up? Yeah, How exactly. Hard would that be? They they said we just didn't find anything. So you know, because now my appetite was whetted, and so uh, yeah. I had my agent get a hold of the um, your roots people, finding your roots on PBS yes. with Henry Gates, and I did one with them, and it was it was fun and interesting, but nothing. There wasn't a big story. There wasn't, uh, I, there was no big, I mean, there might be, who knows, you have to really look into it, but um, I, there, was, there wasn't anything. I'm probably yep. the most interesting person. <laughs> so maybe a hundred years from now, somebody will look back and go, did you know this girl who was in The Fugitive oh. is your great, great, great aunt? <laughs> <laughs> the Fugitive. Yeah, The Fugitive. And we'll be right back after this. You know, the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast, my dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. 
For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats, keep my dogs healthy, and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. Hey, listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, Call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. I, I want to do with you with what I do with some, 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 I don't do this with all the guests. I only do it with some of the guests and you qualify. You, oh, thank you. you have qualified to make it into, because it, it, it's all the talk about games I think, uh, is what's piqued yeah. my interest in doing um, a round of questions called the lowdown. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, lowdown. I get it. That's so clever, it, Rob. Isn't it clever? Isn't it just, <laughs> it's just, I mean, because I've never, no one's ever used that ever when writing about me. No. No. So I'm I'm I I've reclaimed the phrase for myself. There you go. And um so I, I think the first question is um Rolling Stones or Beatles? Uh Beatles. That was quick. There yeah. was no No, you know, I, I love the Beatles so much and I think they they went uh they were they did such uh, a vast uh, a variety of music. And I, I like the Rolling Stones, but I, I, I don't love them. I haven't been attracted to, to them the way I feel about the Beatles. Well, speaking of attracted, that goes right to the next question. Has there ever been a cartoon character that you wanted to have sex with? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, because for me, for me, just I'm not asking you something I wouldn't ask myself or that I haven't thought of myself. Yes, yes. For, for, for me, it was, without a question, the purple-eyed cat in the Aristocats. So you were really attracted was, to that cat. 
I was six, and it was I maybe it was the Zsa Zsa Gabor's voice. I oh, think. Oh, sure. Now I felt that being of the lesbian persuasion, I liked Natasha from Boris and Natasha. Uh, uh, oh, Bo-Hinkle. I bet you did. Yeah, she was just very sexy and very dangerous, and and sort of goth before there very was such goth, a thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that kind of Eastern European goth yes. spot, right? Yes, and she's also, it turns out I love uh, Greta Garbo. She had kind of a voice like Greta Garbo, like that. But Greta, I just did Russian Greta Garbo, was Swedish. But there was that throaty kind of sexy thing that, you know, she'd slit your own throat. How about this? What's the worst review you've ever gotten? Oh, I did. I was in a Shakespeare company in Chicago, and it was Richard III, and I played the the mother. I forget what her name was, but it's usually a part that is cut because it is so verbose and over the top. And um, the, the reviewer from the Chicago Reader said, after Jane Lynch's monologues, there was none of the uh, none of the set remained because she had eaten it all. Ah! Mm-hmm. That's a good one, but I see that. I think that's also. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that's a bad review, though. I got to just say, as a disinterested third party, yeah, right. I'm not sure that's a bad review. Yeah. I think that's like, like I could say after Alec Baldwin's always be closing speech in Glengarry Glen Ross, there was no set left. Yeah, because Alec had eaten it all. It all, and I, that was masterful, though. That was quite masterful. How about you? Have you had a really terrible review? Oh, well. I have two of them. I remember um, there was a critic named Molly Haskell that everybody, she was like the, she was on the sort of level of, 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 um, you know, Janet Maslin who liked me, always liked me, Janet Maslin, but Molly Haskell did not. Molly Haskell um, in a review begged me to stop wearing so much rouge. (laughs) But you weren't, will you? Because you've got, you've got that natural. I was, I have never worn rouge. Yeah. Uh, unless it was in my private life. <laughs> I, I, uh, there's never been rouge on screen. I also got, um, I, I remember, um, picking up Newsweek to, to, to see, I knew there was going to be a review of a movie I did called Class with Jacqueline Bissett, shot in Chicago, incidentally. Yeah, I remember that. Um, uh, at, at the Lake Forest Academy. And uh, I knew the review wasn't going to be good when the headline in the table of contents said, Class, a vile concoction, page 73. <laughs> It's not going to be not going to be it's good. not going to be good. Mm-hmm. Not going to be good. Um, if you which would you rather see a UFO, a ghost or Bigfoot? And would you tell anybody? Yeah. Uh, so these are the hard hitting questions you get here on this uh, well, podcast. You know, what's great about that question is I have kind of gone down the rabbit hole of UFOs in the last. Oh, oh I'm oh, I'm in the rabbit hole with you. Go, so if oh, you open this fucking Pandora's box, you better be down to clown Jane Lynch. Yeah, so I would say UFO, I'd be scared to death, but did you ever, do you ever watch Joe Rogan and he interviewed this guy, uh, Lazar, I forget his first, Robert. Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar, yeah, he's like, the, he's like, like he's like Michael Jackson. For yeah, me. yeah, and that, that other guy that was uh, uh, in the Navy, I forget what his name was, Commander something or other, and he saw a UFO uh, flying a plane, but yeah, I, 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 I've gotten into it. I watched the movie about Lazar and the whole, this is like in the last week. So yes, UFO for sure. Before okay, before I forget, uh, I think it's on Netflix. Above Majestic. Okay, it's a it's a documentary called Above Majestic. It's UFO. I stumbled upon. It's all of it. I don't can't even begin to tell you what it is, but the phrase Above Majestic is way above top secret. Mm. 
And it is, it makes Bob Lazar look like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So, okay. Um, but if you saw a UFO, would you tell anybody? It's a good, I'd tell you, Rob. Because you, on a podcast, so nobody would know. Right, so nobody would, so we could keep it between ourselves. <laughs> what if the reason that we can only hear out of one ear is mm-hmm. because we've been abducted I see, and I, we're the special chosen ones? I mean, do you ever think about that? Call me, call me superstitious or, or conspiracy <laughs> theory. You know, I don't know. I think there's probably some alien out there using the hearing from our right ear. That is it. Mm-hmm. That is it. I think you're right. Um, I have one. Who, if you could take one drug as much as you wanted, whenever you wanted, with no negative side effects or judgments, and nobody would know, what would it be? Oh, boy. You know, I'm not a big drug person, but I do. I, I, oh, I am. I, I'm huge. <laughs> Fucking love huge drug person. Bring them on. You know, I've never done ayahuasca, and I've never done yes, um, exactly. mushroom type situation. Um, psilocybin. I would, I, I would like to do and go on some trips uh, you know, yeah, the ayahuasca trip, mind sure. trips with with some psilocybin or um, ayahuasca, and and have my mind blown, but not die. <laughs> That's the problem because you you hear stories about it where people it, people have had amazing experiences, and then you hear you know it's like the cautionary tale where you. They did it once, and they were never the same. Yeah, and you know, I don't think that happens a lot. I, I, I you know, I don't know. I, maybe I listen to Joe Rogan too much. <laughs> He's a big, big advocate yeah. for it. But yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I just celebrated my thirtieth year sober. Oh, so congratulations! Oh my, thank you. So all my, all my, my, my drug experimenting and all that is, is very much in the past yeah. for me. So I can look at it with a sort of different perspective. But the, the only thing that I miss is um, a good mushroom experience yeah. only about once a year. Cause it would, it, it took, it knocks the shit out of you kind of. Does but it? I just laughed and laughed and laughed yeah. and laughed yeah. and laughed. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we'll be able to, you know, I, I'm sober as well. And, um, I was sober for about 27 years and then I w- took, wow. three, and then I took three years of drinking wine and I did okay, but, uh, I needed to get sober again from it. I kind of went into some denial and uh, now I'm sober again for, I guess, a couple of years, but you know, when you add it all up, that's, that's about 30 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's amazing. Cause I always, it's so funny you say that because I, this whole, the wine thing yeah. that started, it wasn't around my, my my era was go-go 80s and it was like, you know, kamikazes and fucking Heineken's and blow. Yeah. And <laughs> then and then but then all of a sudden this like whole wine obsession yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I and like the new tequila, that's another thing that yeah. was not happening for me. There was Cuervo Gold. That was it. Right. And there's so Oh, yeah. Like Steely Dan song, the Cuervo Gold, the Fine Colombian, Make Tonight a Wonderful Thing. Yeah. That was it. Now there's this fabulous, there's all this stuff that I quote unquote missed. Missed. Me too. So I've always thought about what it would be like to maybe go back and sample it. So how how was your your wine sampling? Well, you know, wine is an amazing thing. And um, I started out, you know, just being, you know, tasting. And then- over three years, but probably the last year and a half, I was drinking alcoholically. And um, how quickly you go into denial, even with 
what at the time was 27 years of sobriety in me, um, I managed to fool myself for probably about a year and a half uh, that I was fine. And I wasn't. And, you know, I have a partner who was she like at one point she said, OK, so you're a drinker now. And I was like, what are you talking about? Wine with dinner. But wine with dinner was like, you know, four or five glasses. But I was t- I was telling myself that I wasn't doing that. So anyway, it was a pretty quick descent Amazing. into denial. But th- there was about a year and a half where, you know, I would drink wine one day and not the next. But then, you know. Yeah, it's it's funny for me, like th- they say that our our addiction no matter how many years we have sober, it's always in the hallway doing push-ups. And it's true. I'm here to tell you, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's this true. is ama- this is amazing to hear. I mean, because you you very rarely meet people with that amount of time. Yeah, who go out and decide to go in and in, yeah. in, in, in experiment a little bit with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I because I and I and I relate to the slippery slope. I got um, I was directing. Uh, in Canada about two years ago, and there was a terrible like cold flu, whatever going going around, and 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 a cough, and so I got cough syrup. What I didn't realize was in Canada, the cough syrup has codeine in it. Yeah, yeah. And I was the ha- I was such a little happy clam running home after rap to turn all the lights off and take that and listen to, to listen to. James Taylor <laughs> and drink my Shazirup. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't wait, right? Yeah. Couldn't wait um, to hear, you know, copper line <laughs> and just be whacked yeah. on my cough syrup. And then you, and you go, oh, I see how this would play out. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I was a NyQuil person too. Before I got sober, I was taking NyQuil all the time to sleep. And um, I got really, really sick in about 2000 and I took some NyQuil and I, although I didn't go out and start drinking, I saw, I saw that, you know. Oh. I could, I could totally, this could accelerate easily, easily. I don't like getting sick, but if I'm going to get sick, I cannot wait <laughs> to have my NyQuil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that soft cotton. I mean, is- Ooh, <laughs> see, see, this is like, if you have never had any doubt about like, are we addict alcoholics? It's like normal people are like, it's fucking NyQuil. What's wrong with you? Yeah. We're like, <laughs> you don't really know. Right, exactly. It was cute. I had my, my, uh, my 30th uh, birthday and my, my, my family made me like a cake. And like, it was, it was really, it was, it was really, 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 really cool. It was, it was a. It was a fun thing. I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're back amongst us. That's yeah, cool. I, I'm glad too. Yeah, and you know, it was I got to tell you, I uh, it 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 was like the first time I got sober. It was really like an act of grace. It wasn't something that I had to work for. It was like all of a sudden it happened, and I was struck sober, and I went, okay, I am not going to. I I am so grateful for this, and I I get it. I got the message, and thank you for making it so easy to let it go again because it was easy. It just happened. I was really lucky. I didn't have to suffer. That is, I, I was the same. I got it the first time, knocking yeah. on wood. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's good to hear to be vigilant because it really is true. It's like you, you can, it's always, it's just, I think it's a part of our, well, I think it's kind of scientifically proven that it's kind of a part of our genetic makeup, don't you think? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, like my sister and brother have no problem with it, but I do. 
Uh, so it's right. you know my it's the the diff, it's my individual genetic profile that isn't necessarily a part of my family's, but I got it. I know I got it. <laughs> yeah, I got it, and then and then it and then it morphs. I, I like to say it's like whack a mole when yes. you pound it down here, and then it pops up over here in some other like new like ah you know what I think would be a good idea to gamble all my money away. That would be awesome. <laughs> or you know, if I can knock that down like you know what you need to do? You need to eat yourself to death via Haagen-Dazs. Exactly. That's what I I I will transfer it into food onto food or coffee and you know what's so what about coffee? That's fine. Oh, okay, let's talk about coffee. Yeah. So I saw that in thing. It says Jane Lynch is addicted to coffee. <laughs> How addicted to coffee do you need to be to end up on my uh background? Saying you're addicted to coffee. You know, like what, I, I'm what's an addict. That bar? I'm an addict, so I don't do anything halfway, and and that includes coffee. Mm-hmm. It is everything to me. It gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, it, look what I got. Look what I got. Look, look what I'm holding. This is my afternoon one. Iced coffee. Yeah, <laughs> this is my afternoon one too. Uh, so I look forward to it in the afternoon, and sometimes I go to bed at night no earlier. Going the, the the sooner I get up, the sooner I get to go to Kings Road Cafe and get my coffee. And I love it. It's my what? favorite thing in the world to do. And it never uh, fails you, to work. <laughs> you and I think exactly alike. We're like the I same I go to bed thinking Bob. about when I can wake up and have my coffee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're like How, the same um, person. We got a lot in common. No, Midwestern, deaf in one ear, coffee freak, alcohol, alcoholic. Alcoholic. amazing. <laughs> um, wh- how much coffee can you like, give me your regimen, because then I'll yeah. give you mine. We'll see who's more addicted. Let's see. I, I order two in the morning. So I get two hot ones, and I get breves. I get uh, two two hot breves. I put one in the car, and then I walk through the neighborhood with one. So I have two. Uh, and then when I, right when I get out of bed, I have one, too. So that's my third by 7 o'clock. And then um, I, w- I will have one at one or two. And, um, and then I'll have, like, a decaf at around, like, 5, 6 o'clock. And I'll try not to have another decaf and, uh, until I fall asleep because if I, even decaf keeps me awake if I'm if I'm not careful. I can do like espresso at at dinner and be fine. Oh wow, good for you, not me. Oh, wish I could do that. Yeah, I can do that. I um so I do th- a, a triple espresso when I when I wake up. Mm-hmm. I do if I'm on the set, I'll do another triple espresso sometime during the day. Yeah. Five o'clock, five, six o'clock is another triple espresso. So we're looking at nine espressos oh, a day God, yeah. right there. And and that's if I'm kind of okay. Mm-hmm. If I'm really off the rails, it could be worse. And if I'm really trying to keep it together, maybe I don't have anything after three. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's too good. Well, this has been so fun. I thank, thank you so much for this. This was a great a great way to spend an afternoon. You're a, you're a champ for coming and sitting in with all of us here. So yeah, happy. It was really, really fun. And we talked to Christopher Guest and tell him to put me in one of the movies. Absolutely. Please. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he everybody's famous now that he works with, so he's going to have to work. That's right. I'm too famous. I forgot. My face is fucking me up again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God darn it. I'll wear a bag over my head. Yeah, there you go. I'll wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> well, you might have to. Yeah. I might have to. Yeah, right. It's perfect. Yeah. All right, Jane. Thank you so much. You were amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. For sure. Bye. Well, now I'm going to go and drink a ton of coffee. I'm going to drink. Here's the good news. I'm going to drink a ton of coffee. I'm not going to drink wine. That's the takeaway. This is a gift for me. I don't have 
to try and experiment with anything. That's what I got from Jane. I'm not kidding. I actually (laughs) think it's amazing. Um, Anyway, I hope you had as much fun as I did. And I will see you next time on Literally with me, Rob Lowe. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Torrey Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.